welcome to episode 110 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and our producer, Johnny Pham. You know, Dalton, we've got a great last show for a couple of weeks for Johnny coming up. He, he's going to get married next week. I think he's going on a honeymoon after that. He's going to, like, climb the Eiffel Tower or, or, or something like that in, in Paris while he's gone. But we've got our very popular from last year, hopefully as popular this year, our debate show where you and I run through our ranks. We debate them. We defend them. We go after each other. So I guess there's one question. Are you ready? Uh, just like every fantasy football player, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm ready. I'm <laughs> not, going- not every fantasy football player, every NFL player. There are very few fantasy football <laughs> players that are in the best shape of their lives. And coach, put me in because today was the best training camp you've ever seen. They're putting me out wide. I'm playing in the backfield. I'm catching everything thrown my way. I'm ready. Johnny, how are you on your last podcast as a, a single man? Well, not single man, but unmarried man, I would say. I mean, but... ta- <laughs> single, you, when you file your, ta- your taxes, you check. Oh, when you're in tax. Okay. Well, like, like legally you are single. Sure. Sure. And, yeah, and good. And next time you come back, you will legally not be single. I will be. Yep. We are uh, 10 days away from the wedding day. A lot of uh, last minute planning to do, but ready uh, ready to get it started, ready to get married, celebrate both of your guys' birthdays that weekend as well. Um, I mean, that's the main event, really. Yeah. I mean, that's why you. That's why I chose the date. I remember yeah. specifically telling you guys, these are the options, and I chose <laughs> this one specifically. I can't remember if you actually did that. And it wasn't like, I can't tell if you're being serious or not. Neither would, would surprise me, frankly. Have you guys decided who, who's taking whose last name? No, you know, I think we like talked up in the about air. It. Yeah, I think it's corn flip. Year. Yeah, I think it might be a corn flip. So I, I, I don't think we'll, uh, we'll find out, honestly, uh, whenever we sign the marriage license. I think that's mm. when we'd find And have out. we decided on a hashtag for the wedding? Uh, no, not yet. I think we're going to leave it up to our guest. Um, just to like kind of write one in and then kind of see which one gets tallied up the most. I'm going to do hashtag what other, per. What other yeah. winning questions you have? I've asked me what color the, the color scheme is. I got asked that today. As a male, I didn't know there was a color scheme. There's a color scheme for, for, for everyone. Wedding, wedding colors? Are you yeah. colorblind? No. Well, our colors are terracotta rose. Magnificent little, um, looks like a rose gold ish, but those are our colors. If anyone is it terracotta, color. like a type of cake, uh, you know, you could be right. I have no idea. Um, yeah, I just know that this, uh, this wedding would not be having any uh, fancy football trades as um, Evan's wedding famously had one. <laughs> um, I don't think a trade will be happening, but we'll, we'll be intrigued to see if one does happen. It could, you know, we, we're in a dynasty league, uh, Dalton and I, so it could, could legitimately, could, could happen. I've got a hashtag for you. Going. I've got a hashtag for you. Get fammed up. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, if, if, if we know who's taking whose last name, if, if she's going to yours, like get fammed up, like pretty good double meaning there. Just, I'm saying. That hashtag he's a hemi. He's a hemi. Yep. That could be one. That's a good uh, yeah, one. Uh, Honestly, you should take her last name just for that. It's a coin flip. So, I mean, it's yeah. up in the air. We'll find out uh, August 5th. <laughs> we will find out August 5th. Dalton and I will be sure to report back. Uh, 
to the podcast community after that. Before we get to the ranks debate, though, just a few news items to go over. What we will not be doing is going over every player who's been placed on the PUP for one reason or another, because that seems like about 20% of the NFL has been on and off that thing. Uh, Javante Williams, actually not on the PUP, didn't have that on the list, but that's a, a good sign. He moved up my ranks sort of substantially, and I think Dalton probably yours too. That can be a topic for another day. Uh, Saquon Barkley was the big news of the week, though. He signed back with the Giants. I think a one-year deal was all he could sign, and then it's a one-year deal for just a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I mean a little bit more than the franchise tag. And there's some incentives in there that like Saquon's going to have to be basically what we have him ranked as like the RB two and three this season to, to hit those incentives, to get whatever bonus money that is. So Dalton, not really much to, to make of this other than it's great news. We're full steam ahead on Saquon, I assume, right? Yeah. Full steam ahead. Uh, what a really non-eventful situation that entire holdout was for him there was a zoom meeting he walked out of that meeting and he must have not had any plan because they offered him like eight eight hundred thousand dollars more and he was locked up that's all he needed so yeah i'm not sure well if if he didn't truly want to hold out which he, he signed it so it seemed like he didn't like he there's really no leverage other than i'm not playing we kind of talked about that so it really just came down to the true intent of the player. And we have Tony Pollard, who we've heard really nothing about. So I assume that's good news. We have Saquon. Yeah, he signed his deal on the first day, too. We got tagged yeah. on these two. And he has less leverage because he's never been a full-time starter, whereas like Saquon and Josh Jacobs have and have put up, put up big numbers for multiple years doing that. But And then you have Saquon, who signed. And then we're still waiting on Josh Jacobs, who, boy, we took flight tracking to a whole new level with uh, people tracking at the airport. When someone reported that Josh Jacobs was seen boarding a flight out of Las Vegas, don't know if that's true or not, but it's out there. The Josh Jacobs one is now uh, the situation we are all looking at, maybe followed by J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor. Who knows? Uh, seems like all the running backs came out of that meeting ready to do whatever they could to get their money, which they should. But a lot yeah. to follow between now and a month from now when we're all drafting. I will say uh... – it's going to be worse next year for Saquon. The the running back free agent market gets significantly better. Well, he year. can be tagged again. He can be tagged again next year. Yeah. It's kind of the, the headline of that. So he is going to be in the same exact situation, trying to get a contract, but the team can just tag him and not give it to him. And then he'll probably be faced with the same decision next year as he was this week. Yes. And hopefully he doesn't get hurt and tears ACL or anything like that because it'll be even worse for him. Yes. Uh, speaking of a guy that, that did get hurt, who does get hurt frequently and got hurt like literally 10 minutes into Chiefs practice, their first practice for training camp, Kadarius Tony, he, quote, tweaked his knee fielding punts. Turns out that was a big enough tweak that he had to have surgery. It was a small meniscus and cartilage tear is how I've seen it described. And we're doing a lot of uh, reading into quotes on this one because the, the team doesn't have to tell us they're not going to tell us exactly what the timeline is but it sounds like the Chiefs are hopeful he's ready to go for week one and there is some noise just if you follow beat reporters that maybe he may not be fully integrated and quite 100 percent and all that until maybe a little bit later in the season but Dalton obviously we both dropped Tony in our new ranks just curious uh 
your takeaway and if you are turning your attention to Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, uh, anybody else in, in camp that maybe has some upward mobility with this news. I mean, this is like the worst outcome possible for anybody who is a Katerius Tony Truther hand up. Um, I, the guy was feeling punts, tweaked his knee, had a surgery to clean up the knee in one day of non-contact football. Uh, and it seems like all the way up to October, they're unsure about what he'll be at 100%. So terrifying. I dropped him down to wide receiver 49. I have moved Sky Boar all the way up to wide receiver 35, which is higher than we either of us initially had him. Uh, the buzz out of camp is good for Sky Moore. Sky Moore looks like he's going to be the full-time slot guy. He's also going to get some outside work um, without Canarias Tony being there. And it seems like he's in line to be Mahomes' favorite target in this wide receiver group. Mm -hmm. So uh, all wheels up on Sky Moore. I'm still drafting Kadarius Tony. He's going in like the 10th round in underdog right now uh, in like the hundreds. I still like the upside there because you don't win fantasy football championships in September and October. You win them in December and January. And Tony could and should be healthy by then. Uh, barring any setbacks with, with him are entirely possible. Right. Well, you you can lose fantasy championships in September, October if you start off bad enough. But the the hope and obviously the the idea with his ADP at, with him at cost right now is that he's not costing you enough to really hurt you early in the season if you do take that chance. So yeah, I do think it's a worthy flyer. I'm with you on Sky Moore. He's up to wide receiver 38 for me. I have Tony down at 50. So we're pretty pretty close in lockstep as far as that goes. You know, Rasheed Rice. I, I know we have talked about kind of the rookie redshirt at receiver for the chiefs sky Moore had it pretty good last year um you know obviously i can't think of uh the other kids saying the clemson kid lord i'm blanking right now ross powell um, oh ross yeah yeah wrong wrong, wrong clemson kid uh the worst clemson kid with powell uh with with ross he he has also said that he feels like he has a, a lot better grasp on the playbook and everything and you're too obviously he was hurt last year but we'll see. We'll see if Rasheed Rice uh, is able to crack the rotation. He'll be one to follow. And then Richie James, kind of uh, an underrated guy to keep following if if Tony's not out there because he's kind of the the floor guy in this receiving core outside of MVS, I think. But just as far as all those other guys, um, I, I think he's the guy that you could take very late in drafts. And if those guys, whether Skyboard just doesn't take the leap, Tony is injured, whatever the case may be. I think you have a, a, a solid enough uh, re bench receiver that could be a starter if, if things break the right way for him and the wrong way for the rest of the group. Yeah, it, it's it's not going to be pretty this year. I think there's going to be a lot of receiver by committee, but everybody's so cheap that I think most of them are going to outperform their ADPs. Yep, I agree with you there. All right, anything else to add on the Chiefs or the Giants or anybody else before we jump into the debate? I think that's it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers gave up a lot of money today for the yeah. New York Jets to be able to side more people, and we will see if Dalvin Cook does end up a Jet as a result of that. Yep, that would be pretty devastating. I just moved Brees all up to ten; he would probably fall right back down if if that did happen. Uh, but yeah, that that is definitely one to follow. Uh, without further ado, I will turn it over to uh, Mr. Stephen A. Smith first, and then our producer Johnny Fam to get this debate going. Why would 
you say something so blasphemous. Something is wrong with you. You better be careful about what the words are about to come out of your mouth. Don't be disrespectful. You better, you better be careful. My turn. It is. You told me it was my turn. You talk. Well, because you lose it, you never win it. You've never had it. Oh, boy. That stuff is... Yeah! <laughs> this man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever, but I'm sorry to call, tell everybody the truth. All right, Johnny, take us away. All right, and into that, we have the first debate of the year. We have Justin Fields. Evan has him ranked as quarterback six, while Dawn, on the other hand, doesn't he seems like he's not on the fields train this year and he has him ranked as quarterback nine i'll have dalton start first and uh just trying to see where his stance is here dalton well i think there are a lot of questions with justin fields uh, i think the best argument to start with him being a quarterback nine is we have to wonder if he's a good passer and i think objectively the answer is no when you look at him last year and the year before he had the highest sack rate in the NFL sacks are the ultimate drive killer and the worst for fantasy football production the more often there are sacks the least likely the drives are to continue the least opportunity there are for other players including the quarterback also he had the second slowest time to throw last year the only quarterback slower than him was Zach Wilson Justin Fields time to throw is 2.95 seconds Zach Wilson's was 3.05 um and then he was the third least accurate quarterback in passes last year. I know a lot of people have attributed his inefficiencies in passing to a bad wide receiver core, but he wasn't even throwing on target passes to the wide receivers he had. Uh, so with those, and then just looking at his raw stats, I mean, he's 30th in completion percentage, first in sacks, 29th in EPA per pass attempt, 24th in passer rating, and 16th in passing touchdowns. I don't buy that Justin Fields is going to improve as a passer. I don't think this is a Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen situation because DJ Moore is an AJ Brown. He isn't Stefan Diggs. He's a above average wide receiver. He's a good wide receiver, but with incredibly poor passing statistics in his first two seasons. And then when you combine, he didn't get an elite wide receiver to influence him and make the situation better. I don't think that he's going to have the passing statistics to command him being that good of a fantasy quarterback. I would also like to add, after Dalton added all of that information, he has him as QB9 with just denigrating Justin Fields and having him at 9. So, seems off to me, but Evan, Evan, you're up. All right, I guess I just have uh, one, one question to pose here before I get started. Dalton, do you know what Justin Fields finished last season? Quarterback blank. Four. He was quarterback five. He he did all of that, and he was quarterback five last season, and he was also quarterback five in points per game as well, just a, a very small tick above Lamar. Now, the Bears threw at a historically low rate last season. Part of that could definitely be attributed to Fields and his struggles. Their struggles are real. We've talked about them. There's no doubt about it. If those struggles were not real, he would be in the quarterback two, three, four discussion. I, I think for me, quarterback six is a tier below that top five. And it was also dealing with one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Hopefully that will be a little bit better with their offseason additions this year. Um, I don't think it's realistic to expect the Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts leap, but I do think it's realistic for him to get better. Like 
DJ Moore may not be AJ Brown or Stefan Diggs, but I think you're selling him a little bit short by just saying he's above average. I think he's a, a legitimate good NFL receiver who's gone over a thousand yards multiple times. Um, you look at what he had last season. He had Darnell Mooney who was injured. He had Cole Komet. Cole Komet was his leading receiver with like 500 yards last season. And Chase Claypool came in and did absolutely nothing midseason. So maybe with DJ Moore in the fold that can take the pressure off of those other other guys, Mooney can be a good deep threat. Moore can do the same as well. And Komet can provide some more production, maybe Claypool as well. The one thing that uh, Justin Fields actually does do average as a passer, slightly above average instead of the deep ball. So you hope maybe Mooney being able to be more of a deep ball specialist. And if he stays healthy and more can do that too, that can help him in that regard. But, you know, I know some of this is Fields' own doing. You're right on the pulling the ball too long. Again, we've talked about that. But I also think Parvit is the offensive line. Last season, he threw 46% of his passes under pressure. No quarterback was higher than 43%. That was Daniel Jones at 43%. That's per Warren Sharp. And really, here's what it comes down to. The passing just has to stay about the same, maybe get a tick better, because this guy is only one of three quarterbacks to ever rush for 1,000 yards in a season. It's Vic, it's Lamar, and it's Fields. He had more rushes of 20 or more yards than 13 NFL teams last season with 10. This guy is an elite rusher. Even small improvements with passing can offset maybe a slight step back in rushing. I like Fields in that QB6 range. All right, and I completely how I forgot how I did this last year. Do I choose a winner here? <laughs> uh, I mean, Dalton, I, if we Dalton, I can go back and forth a little bit. If Dalton, if we want to do a little like cross examine, uh, if Dalton wants to press me on something, and we can go back and forth, uh, and then you can pick a winner after that. All right, let's we'll start with the cross examination. I learned that from the show suits. <laughs> Dalton, you're suits, up. Suits all over the the header of my Netflix right now. I haven't watched it yet. It's so good. Well, you've activated my trap card, Evan, because <laughs> okay. I specifically want to talk about Justin Fields rushing. He is one of three quarterbacks to end with more than a thousand rushing yards of those three quarterbacks. How many of their yards were garnered on designed runs for scrambles per se? The numbers may surprise you. Unfortunately for Justin Fields, 62% of his rush yards last season came on scrambles and 38% came on designed runs. That's almost the inverse of Michael Vick's career year and Lamar Jackson's years. Now, the only reason that concerns me is I don't think that scrambles are as a consistent measure as designed runs. They're broken plays. They're plays where anything can happen. Uh, and I don't think that year to year there is correlative. Uh, so I part of the reason for this ranking is I think that Justin Fields takes a step backwards as a rusher. One, because I don't think he'll scramble near as much. I think they're going to try to make him sit under his line and throw the ball more. And two, I think after a year of tape, NFL teams are going to be way more likely to have scramble drills with Justin Fields and really try to clamp down on his rushing percentage. Yeah, I, I just think he he's such a, a good runner. I, I know you and I both disagree with where he was at in the top 100, but I think I saw it was Nick Bosa said he's the best running quarterback he's ever seen. Obviously, Bosa has seen – Lamar too. I just think he's that good of a runner that it really doesn't matter as much if teams are going to focus more on that. Now I'm with you that he could take maybe a small step back rushing, but where we disagree ultimately is I do think he's going to take a little bit of a step forward passing. He's got, he's not, I'm not saying he's going to be a better passer than hurts, especially this year. He has more arm talent than Jalen hurts has there. Like he, he's working with more arm talent. He's more in the Josh Allen mold as far as that goes than 
than Hurts, who was just dealing with just not being a good enough thrower, and then he just became a, a very good thrower. I think DJ Moore is going to help with that a lot, and I think a better offensive line, second year in the system, and I think the running, while it might not be a 1,000 yards, I think we can reasonably expect awesome rushing numbers again from Fields. I think the Bears stick with Fields this season, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised if they were looking at a quarterback in next year's draft if he doesn't improve as a passer. It would depend on where they draft because they, you know, if they were teetering like that already, they should have just done that this year, and they could have done that this year at number one. So they would basically, what I'm saying is they would have to be picking one or two overall, I think, to to make that change. I, I don't think you can trade up for a quarterback after you just could have just taken a quarterback this year. All right, Johnny, I think we're, we're out of time, out of discussion with this one. Who are you siding with? I, I, I would like to say hand up. There's a little bit of pandering for me from the very start, and I, I kind of denigrated Dalton's ranking <laughs> uh, by saying he said all of that and still has him at QB9, but I'm I'm going to side with Evan on this debate. All right. Uh, Dalton, uh, Dalton. Johnny, it might surprise you that Dalton has uh, Tua Tagovailoa one spot ahead of Justin Fields. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, two spots ahead. I don't know what the board bet is with Justin Fields, but I I feel like there really needs to be a board bet. You know, the difference between six and nine on paper doesn't look like that much. But when you think about it, you know, I think we all have those same top five quarterbacks. And then I do think there's a big difference between six and then like two who I have at 14 Dalton has at eight or I have at 15 Dalton has it has at eight and then Lawrence who I like, but I don't have higher than, than fields. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I don't want to go too much more into the rankings and fields. So let's, uh, let's move on to uh, Deandre Swift. This is a, a bigger gap ranking wise than three spots as Justin Fields. Uh, Evan has, the running back at RB28. Dalton, on the other hand, doesn't think he should be in the league anymore and has him at <laughs> RB48. He has called him a cut candidate for like the last month. Exactly. He's the most expensive running back I'll on that roster. Your debates. I have the floor. Evan, let's have your peace with it. So I, I heard this take on matt wallman's podcast by brandon angelo angelo i'm sorry if i'm butchering your name brandon um and i thought was a good one that i think we all know that that swift needs space to be successful as a rusher he's not good between the tackles penny of the two backs in this backfield the two main backs penny is the better guy between the tackles but brandon made the point that's going to be much easier in that regard in philly than it was in detroit you know jalen hurts can manage that part of the game with the read option he can make those second level reads and just set up where all Swift has to do is take the handoff and run straight and run straight through the gap. He doesn't have to make those decisions like he did with uh, Jared Goff and company in Detroit. So I do think that will help him this season. And then really, you know, I am, am sitting with the market on this one. Swift is like a fringe top 30 guy. Dalton's the one that that is extremely low on here. So I just really feel like I need to make the argument as Swift is a guy worth taking a chance on in the first 30 picks at running back. And I think the talent for Swift really speaks for itself. You look back at his previous three seasons. I know they've been up and down. I know he's had injuries. I know what he was traded for. I know all of that, but this is a guy who's been RB 24, RB 19 and RB 18 in his three years in the NFL, 12 points per game to 14 points per game 
in those seasons. So he's been a little bit higher than those ranks and points per game wise. Like he's coming at a little bit of a discount from that because we know what he was traded for. We know that there's going to be competition in that backfield. We don't know how that backfield is going to shake out. But I do think Swift is a very unique talent that's going to work his way onto the field. And, you know, I know that Philly doesn't throw the ball to their running backs as much as the Detroit Lions and Jared Goff have the last couple of years. In fact, you know, Philly was actually last in the NFL in running back targets last season. But I do think that teams play to their personnel. And I think that not that I'm saying that Philly is going to all of a sudden be Detroit in targeting running backs. But I do think Swift is going to earn more targets than the guys they had last year. You know, while I like Kenneth Gamewell, and I always have, this is a guy who's never gained more than 600 total yards. So that's who they've been working with. And then Miles Sanders, who had a good by the numbers season, his rookie year as a pass catcher, but has been one of the worst pass catching backs in the NFL the last couple of years. I think he's at 0.36 yards per route run last season, which didn't even have a rank by it. When I looked, he was so low among running backs. Uh, Swift, 1.78 yards per route run, third among all running backs last season. That is what he does best. I believe Philly will at least utilize him in some regard in that capacity. And then you just have the fact that Rashad Penny, 42 games in five years, a little over eight a year, has only played more than 10 games one time in his career. Like, I just don't trust him to stay healthy. As crazy as it seems, Swift is the more trustable guy to be on the field out of their top two guys in this backfield. And I think if that does pan out that way, he's going to have value and upside. He's going to have big weeks. All right. Uh, Dalton, how would you like to uh, defend your 20 position gap there? I will give you the trio of mid. That is DeAndre Swift. So we love to score fantasy points, and the easiest way to score fantasy points are touchdowns. I think we can all safely say that the touchdown equity in Philadelphia is not going to lean its way towards anybody but Jalen Hurts in this backfield. Um, We know for a fact last year that the Detroit Lions knew DeAndre Swift was not a guy you want to utilize within the five-yard line. Uh, Among active players last year, only three players had eight or more carries from the one-yard line. Two of them were Jamal Williams. The other one is Jalen Hurts. I'm safe to say that DeAndre Swift is not going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns within the five yards when Philly is in the red zone. So then we'll jump to the next spot. DeAndre Swift has to be the best rusher on this team. Well, he's not. Rashad Pitty is. So before the trade, before trading a seventh round pick, it was clear the Eagles were fine with running with Rashad Penny as their RB1. Penny averages 94.2 yards per start, which is second among all running backs with at least 10 games since 2020. Um, He's also just as much as a big play threat as DeAndre Swift is, and Penny is graded out better than DeAndre Swift as a runner. Penny's rushing grade is 83.7, Swift's is 83.2. So I think it's safe to say that between the two of them, neither can stay healthy, and when both are healthy, I'm going to lean towards Penny getting the majority of the rushing work. Another reason for that is that Philly excels at interior blocking, and that's where Swift has the worst rush success rate. His best rush success rate is outside the tackles. We saw that in Detroit. I think we're going to continue to see that in Philadelphia. So then the final question is whether or not he's going to be the receiving back. Uh, and I think Gainwell is a more is a more efficient receiver than DeAndre Swift is. Over the last two years, PFF gives Gainwell a 75.9 grade compared to Swift's 66 grade. 
Uh, and then last season, Philadelphia in the playoffs showed they were more than willing to trust Gainwell with that role. He played over 40% of the snaps. And in the Super Bowl, he played 52% of the snaps. When it mattered most, he was the guy on the field. Uh, and then the final concern I have, and I don't have Rashad Penny ranked that high either, is that among his career games, DeAndre Swift has four weeks as a top six fantasy running back. Three of those weeks, he had to play over 60% of the snaps to get there. But he also has six weeks where he's RB30 at worst. He's a roller coaster ride of a running back. He's never going to be consistent for your lineup. And I'd rather advise people to take more consistent players who are going to continually produce and just not in a crowded room where guys are going to be taking work from each other. What what more consistent players are you getting between RB28 and RB48, though? If those guys were more consistent, they'd, I mean, there's really not hardly any consistent running backs outside of the top 15, 20 guys. Well, just looking at it, like there's not a lot of injuries I would say are going to swing their way and suddenly make me think Swift's going to be a starting guy. Like if Kenneth Gainwell gets injured, Boston Scott's next man up, they're still running each running back at 35% of snaps. So you're always going to be in this weird, is this the week I start DeAndre Swift? And he's going to burn you some weeks because he's going to have eight carries for 30 yards and that's his touch total. And then some weeks he's going to break one off and have a long run. And I'd not go. I'd rather have a guy like Damian Harris. Like Damian Harris could very well be the lead back in Buffalo if James Cook went down, or a, another guy between those uh, AJ Dillon, um, Brian Robinson. Those are two guys who could also suddenly be thrust into a starting role, and I can rely on them to perform in fantasy. I, I guess where we disagree is I think if Penny goes down, even if Penny doesn't go down, I don't think it's crazy that to think that Swift would be the lead guy in this backfield. I haven't ranked that way. I think he'll be the the, the slight lead guy. But if Penny goes down, I don't think it's crazy to also think Swift could be the lead guy. And Swift is a guy that has, you know, three top 24 finishes under his belt at, as a running back. And yeah, I'm with you. He's a roller coaster. He's up and down. But this is a chance you're taking at RB28 to get a guy who can win you some weeks that you're not drafting as a starter or you're drafting him as the last starter on your team, depending on where you went with with running back or with receiver and, and tight end and quarterback and all of that and by yeah. the way miles sanders had 11 touchdowns last year so it is possible for for philly running backs to, to have a lot of touchdowns i think it is i don't think that swift's going to be the guy i mean in his top performances he needed over 60 percent of the snap share and miles sanders snap share season long and he was the lead back was 55.7 percent so I just think it's going to be tough for Swift to ever get there. I think he's more talented than Miles Sanders is, but I think Rashad Penny is more talented than DeAndre Swift is. But he doesn't have to get to elite performances. He has to get to RB3 performances. I don't even know if he's going to get to those performances. I think he's outmatched in both receiving and rushing by two other players on the roster. I mean, uh, he, he he's definitely more proven as, as game than Gamewell as a receiver. Uh, I know you threw out the PFF grade. I'm not uh, – I don't know what all that, that I don't know what all goes into the PFF grade, so I'm not not too big on on using them myself. Uh, I'd have to look up Gamewell's yards per route run, but Swift was third in the NFL among running backs, so he he definitely is a legitimately good uh, receiving back and a guy who is great when you get him out in space. Yeah, I mean, even if you have the receiving back role, are we going to call that a win on a team that runs the ball more and a running back or a quarterback who rushes with the ball more? Well, I don't I think that's a win. Well, like I said, I, I think they're probably going to work to get him involved. Obviously, there are reports today that that's what they're doing, moving him around, blah, blah, blah. I'm not, like, buying in completely to that. Like I said, not that he's going to be crazy involved in the passing game. But I think it'll be more so than last year. But 
I I think he's going to be more involved at, as a rusher than you think. I mean, I think he'll get his rushes, but I don't think he's going to be getting more than 10 a game if we're counting it out. I don't that's, think he's that type of player. That's great. Let's keep him healthy. Let's keep him out there for, for 15, 16 games. And again, you know, Penny has not played more than 10 games more than one time. That was as a rookie. So I, I just have – I have no faith Penny will stay healthy, and I have slightly, you know, at least shaky faith that, that Swift can stay healthy. You know, Swift has played – 14, 15 games uh, once or twice. I have to pull up his game log. but I mean, there's always a first year for something. And when you can get Penny outside the top 35 running backs and he's getting first team reps, I mean, I think that's a huge value. A huge hit. <laughs> Especially with a guy who was a league winner two years ago. Like, he's done something DeAndre Swift's never done in one people leagues. Yeah, but that was because he was healthy for the six games down the stretch. Swift has been 13, 13, 14. So he's been injury prone. It's been a struggle week to week to get him out there, but he has been out there a lot more than Penny. All right, Johnny, I think we probably exhausted this conversation. What are you thinking? Man, you guys both had very good, compelling arguments. At first, I was like, oh, Evan's going to win this in a landslide. Then Dalton brought some facts. I was like, ooh, that kind of kind of makes some sense, but – I just think ranking DeAndre Swift RB forty eight is just just trying to get get headlines out there. And, <laughs> and like I I think that's just such a we need those clicks, baby. And I I agree, but the fact that you're defending it too is the worst part. And I I think I think run Evan, Stephen A again. I've I, seen him defend worse. I I think Evan wins this argument after. After the pod's published, I'm going to put, like, a poll in the uh, Spotify. You can ask, like, the listeners a poll. They can also chime in as well, and we'll see what their feedback is, if they think Evans are out or Dalton's right, because I'm, I'm just one person, but we can have other people's opinions on who they think's right. But I, I think Evan won this one so far and is, is up 2-0. And now we're up to another running back. Not Here, real, as- real, real, real quick, real quick. Can we sneak in a board bet here? We have 20 spot difference. We can split the difference. Top 38 running back, DeAndre Swift. Dalton, you say no, I say yes. Works for me. All right. Okay. This is going to be like James Cook again, where the end of the season you're going to spray. It's going to make it more exciting. Cook almost did it last year after virtually not playing for six weeks. All right, and the next running back, not as big of a disparity, so hopefully Dalton can uh, can win this debate and hopefully not give Evan a little uh, clean sweep. But Damian Pierce, Evan has him ranked as RB25, and Dalton has him ranked as RB33. Dalton, you're up first. Uh, I think to start this off, just like with DeAndre Swift, the question you have to ask yourself is, is this guy good enough to overcome his circumstances? And I think unlike DeAndre Swift, Pierce just objectively is not. Since 2012, there have been 16 rookie running backs to hit the following thresholds, 200 rush attempts, 900 rushing yards, and 30 targets. Of that group, Damian Pierce was dead last in half-point PPR points, and he's one of the four running backs to miss 1,000 yards. So I don't think he's like an overly good rusher, and I understand that Houston was abysmal last year. They're going to be bad this year as well. Warren Sharp has them ranked as the 28th best offensive line in the NFL, so he's not going to be getting any help there. So then I just jumped to see if his receiving profile was going to do better for him, and it's not. Uh, His receiving grade on PFF last year was 55.4, which ranked 11th worst among 37 starting running backs with at least 200 routes run. Uh, I know PFF grades aren't the best, but to be that low definitely means something. And his yards per reception were 5.3 
which was the fourth lowest, despite avoiding 16 tackles, which was the sixth most, which just really goes to show you like he was not doing a good job with what he was getting. So, but among those already, I'm out on Damian Pierce, but I would be willing to, to listen to an argument where he could still be the lead back because no one's there. But then they went out and signed Devin Singletary, who I don't think is a world beater, but he does things that Pierce doesn't, and he does them better. Uh, Singletary saw five or more targets in 27% of his career games on the Buffalo Bills, who's a team that really don't target running backs. He was also second, second, and fourth in pass blocking snaps over the last three seasons. He's just better than Damian Pierce at that. He's going to be. They're going to need him to be because their offensive line is bad. And so Damian Pierce isn't going to be on the field as frequently as he was last season, which is going to hurt his opportunity share. And Devin Singletary is not a good back, or is not a great back, but he's a good back. And last season, Damian Pierce was the only one getting the work because he was the only back on that team who was even good. So I think because of those inadequacies, he's not going to return value at RB 25. I think he's good for explosive runs, but I don't think that this team is going to do him any favors in that. They're not going to open holes for him. And it's Bryce or it's uh, Bryce Young's f- first year. He's not going to be doing any work for him there. Or CJ Stroud. I'm sorry. So yeah, that's that's my that's my take on Damian Pierce. Uh, I'd probably I'll probably end up ranking him and Devin Singletary even closer as we get closer to the season. Okay, um, we we actually we have a similar stat, so I, and we're slight we're we're different on it. I got mine from ESPN, so I guess I don't know who's right, but I have that he was second in the NFL in missed tackles forced at the running back position per reception at point four seven per reception. He could do some things in the open field in the short passing game. That was just in in doing. Uh, Twitter research, which or X research, whatever you want to call it, um, which I like to do. You're looking up some X-rated Damian Pierce videos. That's right. That's right. Some <laughs> X-rated Damian Pierce videos on Twitter. Uh, one of the Texans fans' biggest frustrations outside of the obvious with their team and their offense last season was they didn't get the ball to him enough just in the short passing game in space. He was the best playmaker they had by a mile on offense last season. And I still think he's going to be the best playmaker, maybe not by a mile, but still the best playmaker on this offense this season. I know they're not going to be good, but they're going to be better. They're going to be a little bit better than last season. Their their quarterback situation was just an absolute disarray last year, at least with Stroud. I know it may start rough, but I like Stroud a lot. I think he'll be decent, especially by the end of the year. I know we both went under on the rushing prop. I know Singletary is going to factor in, but – the problem is I just run out of running backs that I trust really fast in these rankings. I think Damian Pierce, looking at it, yeah, RB25. My next guy is Alvin Kamara, who we don't know how long he's going to be out. Then we're in the backups. Like, Pierce is basically my last true starter that I trust. And I do think he'll be a true starter. I think Singletary will play. But I think bringing in Singletary was almost best-case scenario for – for Pierce this offseason, there were rumblings they were going to draft a guy. Could it be Bijan? Could you know Gibbs? Whatever. And they bring in a guy who is solid, but if he were good, he would have number one done more in Buffalo. Number two, still be in Buffalo because they're still searching for a running back who's even league average right now at, at this moment for that offense. Like. Singletary, not exactly a goal line specialist. I think uh, I think Pierce will have a chance to win that role. I, I know Singletary by the numbers and his career has been a better pass catcher, but I mentioned the elusiveness stuff. I think Pierce at least has it in him to be a decent pass catcher. Pass protection, we'll see. 
but young players, that's often something they struggle with. We'll see what he can do in year two. Um, as far as that goes, you know, last season, he only scored five touchdowns. That was 31st among running backs. That's probably part of the reason uh, why, from a fantasy points perspective and all that, he didn't live up to those other guys. Now the, the total yards didn't either, but the offensive line was so bad. Not going to be great this year, but they did at least add Shaq Mason. I think it'll be a little bit better this time around than last time. And, and then I also think a factor for him last season, we remember him coming out of college that he was never – the unquestioned main guy in Florida, much to the stupidity of Florida and their coaching staff. I think he kind of ran out of gas a little bit down the stretch last season before he got hurt, which you kind of expect that it's not shocking for any rookie to run out of gas, especially a rookie who's not used to getting the carries that he gets. So maybe a little bit of a smaller workload will actually help him be more efficient. And maybe he'll also be more well-equipped to handle that uh, down the stretch this season. I, I don't love Damian Pierce. Like I said, I took the under on the prop, but he's just kind of the best of the worst when it comes to uh, this group between 25 and like mid thirties of, of guys with questions. And he he's the guy that I think has the best talent or the best mix of talent and potential workload. Yeah. I think I'd feel better taking some RB twos in the situation than him. I, I think one thing that probably is the crux of this disagreement is how much he'll be used by both of us. I think my my big worry for that is the, the San Francisco 49ers ideology coming over to this team. Bobby Sloak, who's the offensive coordinator, and D'Amico Ryans, who is the head coach, both come from that tree. And I, I went and looked at last year's splits, and this is prior to the CMC trade, which I think is a, a more a better like analysis of what the Houston Texans might do. No running back on their team had more than 50% of the carries. Jeff Wilson was at 48.8% is the highest they've had. And then after the trade and ignoring a week seven, when CMC was just learning the role, he still only had 53.6% of the team's carries. I think that they're using him differently than they will in this team. But I think there's a, a really, really good probability that this team does not give Damian Pierce 75.3% of the team's carries, which is what the Texans did last year mm -hmm. and was the third highest in the league. And if he wasn't able to eclipse a thousand yards last year doing that, if he wasn't able to be like a top 12 running back with that rush percentage, I'm not going to factor it in with less work and think he gets there. Yeah. Again, I, I just think the situation will, will be slightly improved on that offense. They added some receivers uh, that we like with tank Dell with getting John Mechie back. Hopefully this season, it seems like all things are all systems are kind of a go right now for that. We're fans of Nico Collins, the solid receiver. And again, I, I think Stroud and the new coaching staff will just bring a level of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a, a level of uh, competence to this offense that wasn't there last season that maybe he can have more than five total touchdowns. And, and that'll help the fantasy value if the, the volume isn't the same, which I agree with you. It probably won't be quite the same. But again, I just think he's the best mix of opportunity and talent. And I don't think the situation will be quite as bad as you do. And I do think he has more passing game upside than you do. Before we get to Giants' decision, I think another easy board bet here. You have Rashad White, RB26. I have Rashad White, um, RB31. You don't have Damian Pierce, RB33. I have RB25. Straight up board don't. bet. Damian don't Pierce, make me Damian don't Pierce, make me cheer for Rashad White. Damian Pierce versus Rashad White. You have him seven spots higher. It shouldn't be a problem. I'll take Rashad White. All this right. is the, the, 
I feel like last night you were just sitting there. You're like, what's the worst thing I could do to Dolphins? <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to make him be the shot white truther. Uh, all right, Johnny. Man, the, those are both very compelling arguments. But I, I think Dalton wins this one. Due to the fact of his one sentence of I he would rather have a backup running back and you kind of mentioned he's 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 not bad but like he's like one of the like starters on a full time starter on a team but I I, I think uh, Don wins the wins the edge here. All right, fair enough, fair enough. You know, got gotta keep suspense alive. It is now two the one. Uh, Johnny, let's move on to our fourth guy here. Man, and our fourth guy is what we love ranking the most. What I look forward to you guys dropping, <laughs> and it's tight ends. We have Darren Waller. Evan has him ranked at tight end eight. Dalton may be talking about Eli Berry too much and has him ranked <laughs> as tight end three. Let's uh, let's hear the arguments, and let's have uh, Evan go first. This is another one where I'm right there with ADP and Dalton has taken ADP and taken it to an extreme. This time it's a positive with, with Swift. It was a negative. Like I think tight end three is a real, is a realistic outcome for Waller. I think it could happen, but I think that's his absolute ceiling. We we talk a lot about, you don't want to take guys at their absolute ceiling unless obviously like tight end one, like that's what you're doing. But I think tight end three is the absolute ceiling. Waller if other guys don't get hurt in front of him at that spot this season I know the Giants don't have an alpha receiver by any means that receiver room they tried to address it by bringing in a lot of guys who aren't very good a lot of small guys Waller is for sure the one I do think that Isaiah Hodgins might be being a little bit overlooked he finished the season strong last year was like five touchdowns in the last eight weeks or something like that um, and was a strong performer, grayed out well, and Matt Harmon's reception perception relatively well um, as far as role players go, and, including by myself, by the way. I feel like I might be overlooking him. I don't have him ranked. I might need to change that. I kind of forgot about him until I was looking into the Giants a little bit. But I think what concerns me, the, the two things that concern me are passing volume in this offense and then just Darren Waller's health. So we'll start with the passing volume. Daniel Jones was basically middle of the pack in passing yards last season, but he only threw 15 passing touchdowns. And in fact, he's only thrown for more than that one time. That was as a rookie, 24. He's been 15, 10, 12 his other years. I'm just a little concerned there's going to be enough passing touchdowns. And we know with tight ends in a lot of cases, you need the catch touchdowns to be the tight end three. Now Waller in his prime, could be the exception, one of the exceptions to that rule. But this is a guy that he's played 20 games his last two years. He's entering his age 31 season. You know, it's been two years since we saw tight end two, Darren Waller. He He's not been that guy. I know he's missed time, but just even look at a points per game basis. He was 10th last year and 7th the year before that. So even in the points per game basis, he hasn't been that elite tight end three, tight end four type of guy for a couple of seasons now. Like I, I just am concerned that a guy that's had multiple hamstring strains in the same leg, multiple knee sprains and ankle injuries in the same ankle all in the last three, two or three years. I'm just a little concerned that he's going to come back and have a resurgence at age 31. And then do you have the fact that as we talked about, 
at the beginning of the show. Saquon is back. The offense is going to run through Saquon like it did last season because that is how Daniel Jones will, will be successful. Will Waller have a good season if he's healthy? Yes. Will it be tight end three? I don't think so. Just because I, even if he's healthy, I still think the safe bet is 12, 13 games for a guy that's played 20 in the last two years. Um, so I'll start off with this. I think part of the disagreement here is how we value tight end. I think anybody but Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews and maybe TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle are all the same to me when it comes to fantasy football because tight end points scored are just so drastically similar. Last year, the tight end seven through the tight end 18 had a total point difference of 40 points. Like none of those guys are winning you different weeks. Uh, so part of my ranking for Darren Waller is his ceiling outcome, like you said, to start off with. And I think that Darren Waller is just legitimately one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, he's run 32 routes per game. In those routes, he has 7.6 targets, 5.3 receptions, and 62.5 yards. That would rank top four among tight ends. That's over the last three years. Uh, the one issue, and you pointed this out, he's had, is that the Las Vegas Raiders just weren't throwing him touchdown passes. Uh, in the red zone, his utilization rate was bottom third in the NFL among active pass catchers. This resulted, this still ended with him having the fourth most PPR points over three seasons at 13.7 among the tight end position. Uh, I think that the coaching staff in Las Vegas, whether it's Josh McDaniels or the previous generation, were just very bad at utilizing talent. We're seeing that now with the Hunter Renfro situation. I think Brian Dabble is a much better play caller. He's going to get Darren Waller open. And I think that those, that's going to help because Daniel Jones last season threw 59.3% of his passes over the middle of the field, which was the fifth highest rate in the league. That's from Sports Info Solutions. I think that's going to continue to be a trend on this team and that Darren Waller is going to be the main dog to eat. And then you look at guys on this roster who had at least a 25% target share last season. Those players are Richie James, who had four games with a 25% target share, Saquon Barkley with two games with a 25% target share, Darius Slayton with two, Wandell Robinson with two, Sterling Shepard with two, Isaiah Hodgins with one, and Kadarius Toney with one. This team is begging for an alpha play play catcher or playmaker to be there and a guy who can catch balls over the middle. And I think those are what Darren Waller does best. And then uh, with an addition of a competent coaching staff, I think he's just going to successfully hit. And he might have some weeks he's injured, but he's going to be one of those few plug-and-play tight ends where you're never reconsidering it, um, especially even me ranking over George Kittle, who I think is a guy who we're both concerned about uh, injuries and usage. I think you can say week to week, if he's healthy, Darren Waller is going to be a top three fantasy tight end each week. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think Waller was awesome, but – I don't think he's better than Andrews. I don't think he's better than Kittle. He, he's probably was right there with like the Hawkinson, uh, Dallas Goddard tier. But again, he, he just hasn't been healthy now for multiple years. He's 31. Yeah, I've got this uh, report from the foot fantasy footballers pulled up here. Um, this is from last year. And so this is from 20 or from 2000 to 2020, only 3.5% of top 12 tight end finishes have been by guys in their age 31 season. So by ranking him top 12, I'm already saying he's going to kind of buck that trend and, and be one of those guys that doesn't have the fall off. But I'd be curious what that top 5% is because unless you're Kelsey, Tony Gonzalez, like Gronk, even Gronk, not so much, but unless you're a true all timer, it's just tough to be 
uh, a truly elite tight end at this age. And then with the injury history that he has, I, I just I just don't trust it. And then I, I worry a little bit about, again, the passing volume, the touchdown volume, all of those things. I agree that by and large, if you're drafting Waller as your tight, like he might be one of my favorite targets as like a tight end seven or eight, but I just think the opportunity cost of a tight end three ranking like that, that just is a big risk for a guy that hasn't done it since 2020. The NFL looks quite a bit different now than the last time Darren Waller was a elite fantasy option. Yeah, but ranking a guy tight end three doesn't mean you're taking him tight end three if the market's not. Like he's going in the sixth round right now, and you could take him in the fifth round. No, I no, I know, but you're like the debate here is who's right, tight end eight or or tight end three. Well, yeah, but he could definitely finish his tight end three. There's I don't see any point of an opportunity cost of when you're taking him because that's not part of the debate. Well, but part of the okay, so but part of the debate is he more likely to finish tight end three or tight end eight? I, I'm saying I feel like it's not that like it's in a very upper tier range of outcomes, I guess, for him to finish tight end three, and it would ha- it would have to be a a very very healthy season and a Daniel Jones volume leap and player leap in my opinion. I mean I don't think it's crazy. We have Isaiah Hodgkins, Darius Slayton, and Richie James were all touted at different points in the season as top twenty four guys because Brian Dabble was able to get them effective pass-catching situations. I think Darren Waller is more talented than all of them. Uh, but, I mean, I'll take a straight board bet. You're tight end three, who's oft injured in George Kittle, against my tight end three, Darren Waller. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely take that. Oh, boy. A lot, of, a lot of board bets here. But it all comes down to this. Tight end eight, tight end three. At the beginning, I was like, let's make this interesting. Let's have Dalton win this thing so we can go to a <laughs> But Evan's fact of whatever statistic it was of the range, you have to be basically an all-timer Kelsey Gronk after the age of 31 to be a top tight end. And I think that's the argument that kind of sealed the deal with me because 20 years from now, we're not going to be talking about Darren Waller being great. I He maybe had one flash in the pan season, but I, I think Dalton, Dalton has been talking to Eli way too much. And I, I think he's, I think he called Eli before this, like, hey, Darren Waller, I have tight end three. Eli's like, dude, he needs to be tight end one, tight end whisper. <laughs> and I, I think. Evan wins this argument, wins the uh, the debate show, but we still have one debate ranking left, and I don't know how to describe it, so I will let you guys take that part away. Okay, so this is just a, a straight-up uh, player debate. We did this last year with A.J. Brown versus Tyree Kill. This year we're doing it with Chris Goblin versus Drake London because we basically have those guys ranked in similar spots but flipped. You know, I have – Drake London as my wide receiver 21. Dalton has him as his wide receiver 27. Whereas I have Chris Goblin as my wide receiver 27 and Chris Goblin or, and Drake London. Excuse Now I confuse myself, but bottom line, we have these guys ranked very similarly, but just flipped all you need to know. So I thought a, a straight up player debate, um, kind of, just an extra board bet, but a way to sell the score with the fifth one, if it was needed, but it's not needed, but we can still debate it. Uh, Chris Goblin versus Drake London. Dalton, I will let you lead us off with Baker Mayfield's main man. Uh, well, this debate, unfortunately, comes down to which 
quarterback we trust more. And I think if we could say that's it, not they, a good way to start this <laughs> off with Baker as your guy. The answer would be neither because Desmond Ritter sucks too. Let's just get that one off. Uh, so I sat down and I looked. Well, Baker has a better season than Desmond Ritter's ever had. It was his rookie season, but it's out there. Um, so I sat down. I've got a stat ready for you. And I looked at this. Desmond Ritter's on target percentage was 30th in the NFL last year when he was active. So he's not a very accurate quarterback. And then you couple that with the fact that the Atlanta Falcons were 31st in the NFL in pass rate. So I don't think there's a lot of volume on this team for Drake London, Bijan Robinson, and Kyle Pitts. So those are the, the two first things that glare out to me. I do think that Drake London's talented, but I think you'd agree that Chris Godwin is equally, if not more talented than Drake London. Um, so that's my first concern is that the passing volume isn't there and the quarterback isn't very good. And then I don't really trust Arthur Smith. At one point last year, down three touchdowns, this team had a 20-play, nine-minute drive where they ran the ball 15 of the 20 times. Like, they are absolutely – Got to establish it. They absolutely want to establish the run. So there are going to be just terrible weeks where even if Drake London's open on – 80% of the plays, he's going to get seven targets because that's just going to be the pass volume for them. Uh, now we jump to Tampa Bay, where I have to defend Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I don't have a defense for Baker Mayfield. <laughs> uh, Baker Mayfield, I did pull some stats on him. Uh, with the Rams last year, he had a game-winning drive. That was really impressive. I remember that against the Raiders. Um, but what hurts is that I think that Chris Godwin is more talented than Drake London at this point in his career. Chris Godwin's career tar uh, targets per route run is top 10 in the NFL. He is more efficient than anybody else. And if there's anybody who could tank his value, it's Baker Bayfield. But that's why he's already going in the bottom half of fantasy drafts. Yeah. He's not a top 15 player right now. Uh, so I'm more willing to take the tried and true guy in an offense that I think is going to pass more than the Atlanta Falcons. Situationally, I think it's a more ideal environment. Uh, even with Baker Mayfield, I think Desmond Ritter's equally as bad as Baker Mayfield, but I think that Baker Mayfield's going to throw the ball more. There's going to be more volume, and there's going to be more ability for him to eat. I think it's a wash when it comes to competition. Kyle Pitts, Mike Evans, are both going to take targets away from Chris Godwin and Drake London. So let me, let me give you a little Baker Mayfield uh, discussion here. This is a fun one. So this is my like this is my main concern with Godwin, obviously. It's Baker Mayfield, it's everybody's main concern. But Godwin specifically, I think I I like I, I like him as a player at this point more than Mike Evans, just the, where they're at in their age progression, all of that. So that's why he's higher. But just from a you know wide view, I think Evans actually does the stuff that Baker will have an easier time with than Godwin. When you think of the the struggles with Odell Beckham with DJ Moore, it's the the over the middle stuff. It's throwing in traffic as a short guy over the offensive line. It's reading the defense over the middle of the field, and that's where Chris Goblin has lived throughout his NFL career. So that's the crux of my concern with him. I know there's been talk about maybe the the Bucks will get him outside a little bit more. Um, they've they've said that they're going to do that to preserve Goblin a little bit, and maybe they will, and maybe it'll work. But we we've never seen Goblin really play that role. So I'm at least a little bit skeptical on what that'll look like. But if you look at Odell and you look with DJ Moore, the last two big-time receivers that have played with Baker Mayfield, this is what you have. So in 2019, I believe Odell was a first-round pick when he went to, to Cleveland that first year. 
he finished as the wide receiver 26 in 2020. Um, it was only six games and then he tore his ACL in the seventh game, but he was also right in that same range as like wide receiver 26. That was four single digit games, one very solid game, 16 points. And then another game where he had 36 points, but let me tell you how he got to his 36 points in that game, a Jarvis Landry passing touchdown, a 40 something yard rushing touchdown. And then he did catch a touchdown from Baker Mayfield. You look at DJ Moore in the six weeks he played with Baker Mayfield. He was the wide receiver 53. Take Baker out of the picture. Put literally anybody else at quarterback, which is what they did the rest of the season. He was the wide receiver 11 down the stretch. So I just have major Baker concerns when it comes to Goblin. And then with Drake London himself, you know, he was the wide receiver 39 last season. Reception perception, you know, Matt Harmon is a big believer in him as a star level player. I believe that as well. Anybody who's listened to us since the pre-draft days uh, knows that at this point. 72% success rate versus man and versus press and 81% success rate versus zone. Almost 900 yards. He is a highly touted prospect, top 10 pick. He is like the prototype year two breakout. And you mentioned Goblin's discount. I think if you had a legit quarterback in Atlanta, you'd be seeing London as a Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave level of draft pick as opposed to where he is now in the early 20s because I think he is very much on that level. I'm not sure you would even disagree um, with that. But I don't know. You look um, last season, I know it's a small sample, and I know Ritter himself wasn't very good, but with Ritter, they threw the ball a little bit more than with Mariota, which you remember they had the one game where it was like 14 passing attempts. They were frequently trying to do that. With Ritter in the lineup for that last month of the season, London was the wide receiver 22. So he was right in line with where he would need to be to live up to my rank this season. I love the talent. I love the player. I don't hate the situation outside of the quarterback. Like I think he and Pitts, while they're going to take volume away from each other, I think they'll also help each other. Um, take attention away from each other, especially in the red zone. Maybe Kyle Pitts can finally score a couple of American touchdowns. But I, I'm just really in on on the talent of Drake London, and, and I'm taking him at what I think is a discount because of situation. And because we just don't know, maybe Ritter in year two takes a leap. Maybe he's better than he was in year one. I don't think that's far-fetched. And maybe he's even better than than a small leap. Not saying it's going to be great, but – situation we just never really know unless it's baker mayfield i think we do know with that one because we have years and years uh, of sample there yeah so my first part i'll start with drake london in active games desmond ritter averaged 18 pass attempts a game so even if you divide out like an absurd 35 percent, i think that that's a good number because that is almost what drake london averaged without kyle pitts and with desmond ritter a 35 percent mm-hmm. target share that's six receptions a game and if you go back historically, there's never been a wide receiver to finish top 20 with six receptions a game. You, but what about you, 21? Okay, maybe 21. <laughs> We're really splitting hairs here, and I didn't know how to do that math, so I did top 20. Um, so for one, I do think there would have to be an increase in pass volume, and two, he would have to continue to have an absurd target share or – the team that drafted an RB in the top 10 suddenly passes at a way, way higher clip. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think there'll be a little increase in pass volume because I I know the volume, even with Ritter, not that high, but you're talking about a rookie quarterback, I think a third rounder who gets thrown in there week 15, whatever it was, week 14, week 15. Like, I think it's realistic to think that 
they were just they were trying to see what they had in Ritter, but also they don't want to overextend the kid. They they want to be, and especially because London was the only game in town at the end of last season. So it's just I think they're better set up for a little more volume. I don't think they're going to be pass heavy. I think a little more volume than than what he had at the end of last season. I also don't trust Arthur Smith, who could hardly utilize AJ Brown correctly. Um, and yeah, AJ but AJ Brown, was still a wide receiver. Yeah, one. on a super, I would not ever say Drake London is AJ Brown, and it was a hyper efficient clip that nobody year to year ever wanted to project AJ Brown for what he ended up doing because it was yeah, so efficient. Uh, my final argument is: what if we're wrong and Baker Mayfield doesn't start? What if Kyle, it's Kyle Trask? Kyle, Kyle Trask. I we don't know what Kyle Trask is absolutely, but what we do know is that Baker Mayfield tanks wide receiver value. He's done it every year of his career except his rookie season. Uh, and I'm more than welcome to one of the best wide receivers in football, just like Drake London has charted well in reception perception. Chris Godwin has historically been oh, yeah. a great yeah. chart every year. Yeah, He's Godwin's so- great. There, there's no debate there. And even with an aging Tom Brady last year, his yards per route run stayed consistent. He returned from injury fine. And if Kyle Trask comes in and plays at even a below starter level, I think Chris Godwin can easily outperform uh, his fantasy value. I mean, Jameis Winston obviously had a season where both Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were top 12 wide receivers. And I don't think it's crazy to say that he could have a top 18 season with subpar quarterback play. And then if Mike Evans takes another – I mean, he's 30 – Takes another clip off his game. We saw some deprecation in his game last year. There was the first Panthers game where he had massive drops on Tom Brady's end. So I think that's all possible and that Chris Godwin is the, the main beneficiary. But on the same side, uh, th- I mean, this is a debate neither of us want to have because it's not even about the talent of either player. It's about the quarterbacking of each team. Yeah, um, I, I just think that, again, we don't know what Kyle Trask is, but what we do know is that he's in a, uh, a, a very competitive quarterback competition with Baker Mayfield, who who we do know what it is, whereas at least Desmond Ritter, he played down the stretch last season and was fine, had his moments. Again, not great, but had his moments as well, at least flashed some ability. And, you know, they bring in Taylor Heineke, who I think is probably better than Baker Mayfield, and it's not a competition. It's, it's Ritter's job right now. Well, part of that can just be attributed to coaching tendencies, wanting to see what their 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 rookie draft pick can do. Yeah, but you would you know like it would behoove Tampa to see what Kyle Trask can do. So it would behoove them if if he was their starting quarterback. So if he can't win the job or if he's still in the competition, I don't know. I, I just don't have high hopes. That's the way it's like. I don't have high hopes for any quarterback. In, and I in saw Tampa. today Kyle Trask was making NFL throws. <laughs> I'm just saying. Good I'm just him. saying. Maybe they haven't announced starting quarterback at Tampa Bay. Maybe we're just making assumptions. You know what they say about assumptions. Last thing, and I'll let Johnny uh, decide this one. I get the Desmond Ritter of it all, but here's the thing. Drake London was second most, or it was second in the NFL in most PPR points below expectation last year. Minus 33.5. Deontay Johnson was the only one ahead of him at an astronomical number that was like more than double that. If you just give him his expected fantasy points last season, he would have finished as the wide receiver 23 in PPR instead of wide receiver 31, which is where he finished last year. So if you're converting that to half point PPR, maybe that's like wide receiver 29, wide receiver 28, something like that. So he is due for a little bit of positive regression, and hopefully that comes this year in a little bit more pass-heavy offense. Johnny, what do you say? Man, both you guys made great, great arguments there, but – I think Dalton takes the cake on this one. All right. I don't agree, but I understand. You have no choice to. 
you know what's funny? I just got curious. Kyle Pitts, if he would have performed at his expected fantasy outcome, would have been 38% better last season. I do think part of him underperforming is the misutilization of Arthur Smith. Yeah, well, and I we'll we'll see how it plays out between London and Pitts. I kind of think London is just better. Uh, we'll see. I think that, that'll be an interesting debate if the volume is not very high this year. I'll have to find it, but somebody quote tweeted a podcast arguing about Drake London, and they said, why are you even arguing about Drake London when Mac Hollins is the wide receiver one on this offense? <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's like both these guys plus Bijan, like it really should be those three guys because Mac Collins is the wide receiver two <laughs> legitimately on this offense. Whereas it, like, you know, Russell Gage, he's coming for Chris Goblin. What's depressing is that the Falcons could finish with nine wins in that division. And Arthur Smith will think that his 80% rush rate above expectation was actually a good idea. Well, you know, not if my Panthers have anything to say about it. And that is going to do it for episode 110 of the Half Point Per Podcast. Wish our friend Johnny best of luck in his wedding next week. Dalton and I will be there and wish him luck in person for you all as well. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Half Point Per Podcast. You can watch that uh, very corny and funny drop I played earlier with Stephen A. Smith and, and the crew to intro this debate. The show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. Leave us a review. Vote in the poll that Johnny's going to put up in Spotify. We thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back with another show next week.